0: You are listening to the Restoration L.A. podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and we are thankful to be able to engage your word or this holy scripture that has been made available to us, the saints of God, to be able to, to, to read your holy word. What a privilege. That was, that was not always so. The people of God weren't always given complete access to your holy word. And so we are thankful to be able to read and to absorb and by your spirit learn what you are saying to us, what you have said, and how we can apply it to our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started a, a series called Encounter. And if you remember last week, we talked about Moses and his encounter on the burning, or with the burning bush. And so in, in Moses' encounter, God revealed himself as a holy God. If you remember, when he entered into that space with God, um, the angel of the Lord said, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. And how many of you know that we serve a holy God? And because we serve a holy God, we can't be so casual with the presence of God. We can't be so casual with the things of God. We have to know that there is a standard for the people of God. Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty powerful thing. And I know it, it, we, we can be very um, daunted by, by that challenge, but it's not be holy in and of yourself is be holy through his spirit, right? It's only by his spirit and what Jesus did on the cross that we can be holy. And that word holy means to be set apart, to be set apart for God. And so as God is the one true God, the the set apart God of, of, of all the ages, he is the only God, as he is set apart, he is requiring a holy people a people who are also set apart. A people who also, when they, when people observe their lives, can tell that these are people who serve God. And so, um, many of us uh, have never experienced a, a, a burning bush. Ex- had a burning bush experience, and if you had, you probably should have been arrested. Um, but, <laughs> but the, it, some some of these supernatural encounters that, that we we see in Scripture, some of us haven't had those things. You know, Moses en- encountered a holy God. A God who demanded holiness. Ultimately, we come to learn that Moses' encounter wasn't just about Moses. If you guys remember what we talked about last week, that encounter wasn't just for Moses. And I believe sometimes uh, we, we want these encounters with God because we want something in our own lives to be fulfilled and, and we want to have these, these supernatural moments with the Lord. And, and the Lord is, wants to meet us in those ways, but we have to recognize that those encounters aren't always just for us. See, so many people who want the presence of God, but don't want the responsibility that comes with being in the presence of God. And so um, God Almighty was going to use Moses to free millions of Jews from Egypt. And that's what that encounter uh, was a catalyst to. God God revealed himself to Moses as a burning bush because he needed to get his attention because he was going to commission him to do the impossible. And, And I believe the same for our lives. that God wants to encounter us because he wants to commission us to do significant things with our lives with the time that he has given us. This morning, I want to talk to you about one of the first disciples of Jesus. Um, the narr- narrative starts in, in the first chapter of John, uh, just kind of um, to catch us up to where we're landing in John. Uh, John the Baptist had already begun his public ministry, and so. Uh, He wasn't a Baptist as in the denomination. He was a baptizer. And so when I say John the Baptist, he wasn't a denominational Baptist. He was a baptizer. And so John was was baptizing with the baptism of repentance. And so he was was preaching and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And as we understand scripture, that John the Baptist was a forerunner for Christ. John the Baptist went before Christ to prepare the way for the ministry of Jesus. And so as he is baptizing and starting his public uh, ministry, we know that Jesus had already gone through his temptation in, in the desert. We know that um, he he had already been baptized as well. If you remember Jesus' baptism, John, his cousin baptized him. And if you remember the story, the, the heavens opened and God the Father's voice uh, came down and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit revealing itself in the image of a dove came and rested upon Jesus. And so we see all of those things have taken place. And now the Father was about to unleash Jesus on the world. I mean, what a powerful time in in human history, right? And so here we are in John chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 35. You guys can follow along on the screen or follow along with your Bibles. And it starts here. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. We have to recognize John the baptizer had his own disciples. he, he, He was being followed by men who recognized that he was operating in the power of God and said, hey, we want some of that. We want some of that. And so as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and he declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. There is the Lamb of God. And I just want to bring some attention to this really quickly. I think any minister, any You call it what you want. Pastor, minister, anyone who is given a a profile by the Lord should always point people to the Lord. Anyone who is drawing attention to themselves, anyone who is saying this is about me and my ministry and my church and whatever else that looks like, I'm telling you, it's a dangerous thing. What we do as a people of God is always pointing people to Jesus. We should never be the type of people that is drawing people to ourselves. Because when we draw people to ourselves, man, we can lead them astray. If I draw people to myself with with my opinions, with my thoughts, I'm telling you, it could be disastrous. But when people come to a leader in the life of the church, it should always be, Let's, let's lead you to Jesus. What does Jesus say about this thing? What's Jesus plan about this thing in your life? What has Jesus done? We, we have to continuously point people to Jesus. And I love this about John's ministry. It was like, this is not about me. If you remember, this is one of the defining statements of John's life. Because they begin to see Jesus. And then watching John the baptizer operating all this power. And they were a little confused about what was going on. And John the baptizer said this. He must increase. And I must decrease, which means Jesus's ministry must must become prominent and mine will will be relinquished. And and so it has to be the same for us as we are even leading people as believers. It's not about us. It's about them and Jesus. Right. Are you guys cool with that? So so look, there is the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard heard this, they followed Jesus. I mean, it, it was it was that quick. And so I'm, I'm going to get into all the nuances. It. Let's just read through. Jesus looked around and saw them following him. And, says, and he said this, what do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, Jesus says, come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to a place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. And Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. And that word Messiah is a Hebrew word for the Christ. Both meaning the anointed one. The anointed one. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus and looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas. And, and, and that word Cephas is, 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 is meaning a rock where we get the petros and um, meaning boulder. But he, he, the word Simon means to be a reed. If you know what a reed is, it's kind of like a bamboo shoot. If you've ever seen the wind blow, bamboo shoots kind of move with the wind. And so this is who he was. And this is really his identity as well. He was a person who blew with the wind, but now on sight. Jesus tells him, your name is going to be Cephas. You're no longer going to be a person who blows with the wind. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be someone who's going to be solid in his faith. I love that about Jesus. I think I reminded us a couple weeks ago. Jesus was amazing at identifying potential in people. And on sight, he sees this in Peter's life. So now he's going to be called Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown, Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, you have to recognize that's like East L.A. Like, hey, come to this church in East L.A. East L.A. Who wants to go to church in East L.A.? Like, we're not talking about church, we're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm telling you, this is, this is mind-boggling from them. Because they had been waiting for the Christ. For centuries, they had been waiting for the Messiah to come and reveal himself. And now they found him, and then they find out he's from Nazareth. And so they had to process this stuff within themselves. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel. Again, Jesus identifying on site the potential in this man. A man a complete integrity. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked and Jesus replied, I can see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And so the, the wisdom of Jesus and, and, and Jesus, the son of God being, being fully God and fully man now speaking prophetically over Nathaniel's life. And Nathanael exclaimed, rabbi, you are the son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus asked him, "Do you believe this just because I told you that I saw you underneath the fig tree?" And then he says this, "Listen, friends, you will see greater things than this. You will see greater things than this." And then he said, "I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven up open and the angels of God going up and down on the sun, uh, on the son of man, the one who is the stairway. Listen to this, friends, is the stairway between heaven and earth. Isn't that powerful? If you know that song, Stairway to Heaven and all this, Jesus is that stairway. Jesus is the one who gives us access to eternal life with the Father. It's Jesus who is that bridge. It's Jesus who is that stairway. And he was, he was starting to develop this, this understanding of eternity from the beginning. As soon as he starts to, um, uh, ministering to the, his new disciples. So I want to focus on on one of these disciples if I can, and that's Andrew. And so different from Moses' experience, Andrew's encounter was facilitated by an introduction. So God revealed himself fully to Moses by himself, right? In this case, Andrew is with John, John the Baptist, and then John says, Look, there is the Lamb of God. Look, there is God. So there's an introduction that needed to take place, right? Andrew's response was radical. It was radical. He ditches John and he starts to follow Jesus immediately, all in. Like there's no question. Were, and, and, and I know that in the, in the nuances, we, there might have been a discussion, but it was immediately he begins to follow Jesus. He's like, "Well, if this is the Lamb of God, what am I doing following you? <laughs> like I'm going to start following him." And I think that's significant, friends. Because I think in today's world, we have a lot of people who go to church and subscribe to maybe an ecclesiology. And What I mean by ecclesiology, it's, it's like the understanding of how to do church. And I think we can learn how to do church and still not follow Jesus. I think we can learn how to follow a man and follow a pastor and do the things that they tell us to do in church. You know, you got to go to Bible study and then you got to go to prayer and then you got to show up on a Sunday morning. And if you're you're really supernatural Christian, then maybe you'll sign up to do something within the church to help other people out. And, And so we learn how to do those things. But are we followers of Jesus? You see, Andrew had this opportunity. Well, I've been following you, and I've been learning the truth from you, but now you're pointing me to him and saying he's the truth, then I need to follow him. And I think that's appropriate for every person to recognize in their lives. Am I a follower of Jesus, or am I a follower of a system? Andrew's all in, and he becomes Jesus' first follower, literally. (laughs) Literally. He literally starts following Jesus from that day, right? Uh, um, Starts following Jesus. Jesus had to turn around and ask him, like, what do you want? Can you picture this scene? I always see things in movies. Jesus is walking by. John's like, there's the Lamb of God. Andrew's like, where? Like, there. There's the Lamb of God. And John's like, Andrew's like, I'm going to go follow him. Starts following him to where Jesus has to turn around and ask him, like, what do you you want? (laughs) You're following me, bro. What's going on here? And then he says this, Rabbi, where are you staying? Where are you staying? What, I mean, it, it could the nuance of this question, could, we can could go over it real quick. Where are you staying? We hear the psalmist write, where you go, no, no, no excuse me, in Ruth's life. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Andrew's making this declaration to Jesus at this point. Where are you going? Where do you stay? Because where you're going, I want to go. Where you're staying, I want to be. This is different from Nicodemus's encounter. If you remember Nicodemus' encounter, Jesus is ministering and Nicodemus shows up and Jesus spots him and he says, Hey, Nicodemus, guess what? I'm coming to your house today. Can you imagine Jesus doing that to, 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 to each of us? Wait, I didn't clean up, Lord. I got some stuff to put in order. Maybe I got some bottles to put away. I don't want you to see. Like, right? We, 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 we wait. In Andrew's case, it's Jesus, where are you staying? Because I'm coming to your house today. I mean, this is intentional. This isn't him, him waiting around and waiting for God to call him or waiting for him. This is like, if this is the Messiah, then I'm following him with everything I have. Jesus said, come and see. When he asked, where are you saying, Come and see. What a powerful thing. And I love this about Jesus. That if you want more from Jesus, you can have more from Jesus. If you want a more intimacy with Jesus, you can have more intimacy with Jesus. If you want to see the depths into who he is, Jesus is, is an open book. Come. Come. Come experience. Come and see. Come and see where I'm living. I'll show you. I'll show you. And I love this. But even within the passage that we just read, he said, I'm going to show you even more things. I'm going to show you even more things. What an invitation. Come and see. So we know Andrew followed and he stayed with Jesus that whole day. And some might think that that's just rude. You don't invite yourself to someone's house and then stay all day. I know Hispanics do that all the time, but that's just culture. but i think in this case the lingering can be overlooked he's just encountered the messiah he's just encountered the christ who would not want to stay there all day who would not want to say like can i move in this is god on earth emmanuel given to us in the person of jesus andrew has encountered the messiah Revealed by an introduction from John the Baptizer. Andrew responds by initiating his followership. He initiates it. It is a way to be asked. He initiates, I'm going to follow Jesus. We sang that song. Um, did we sing? We, 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 were, we were talking about it. And walking through Oh, that old hymn, I mentioned it. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. He then spends the rest of his day with him. But what he does next, friends, is significant. It's really significant. We have to recognize this. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon. He went to find his brother, Simon, and he says this, we have found the Christ. And I want us to recognize a couple of things here. Number one, Jesus didn't say, hey, hey, I need you to go and tell everyone you know that you found me. I need you to go find, you know, your brother and all, your your mom, your sister, your cousin. I need you to go find these people and I need you to bring them to me. Jesus didn't say that. Andrew is compelled by the revelation that he has found the Christ. A revelation that he has found the Messiah. This is significant. So what he does is he goes and he finds Simon. Without prompting, without coaching, because he knows what he has found. He goes to Peter. We have found the Christ. I have to believe that Andrew's revelation caused him to recognize, listen friends, the responsibility of this encounter with Jesus. Just like Moses had a responsibility that stemmed from his encounter with the Holy God, Andrew now has a responsibility prompted by the Spirit of God that there's a responsibility for these encounters that we have. His was to bring others to this Messiah. If John introduced Jesus to me, I'm going to introduce him to Peter. Come and meet the Christ I have encountered the Christ. I want you to also encounter this Christ. The same thing happens with Nathaniel. He's introduced to Jesus, comes and sees what someone else has found. And I think we have to recognize this pattern in scripture. It's a pattern. I have found Jesus. I want you to find Jesus as well. It could seem like a logical conclusion. But honestly, for so many Christians, this isn't the pattern. There's a, there's a study. If you ever want to see kind of studies on, on the Christian community, um, you can go to Barna.com, and Barna.com does a lot of things. like You know what the Gallup poll is, where they you know, just poll a lot of people and they get statistics? The Barner group does that for the, the, the Christian community. And it's a greater Christian community. It's, it's across all, all, all the um denominational lines of christianity so it includes uh, catholics and protestants and anglicans and and so all of those who who believe in christ jesus as lord and so they have done these studies about the christian faith and have have surveyed thousands and thousands of christians throughout you know a couple of decades now to get good info on how we are actually working out our faith as christians so listen to this Almost all practicing Christians believe that part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus. And I think every one of us would agree about that, that we need to be a witness about Jesus. Ranging from 95% to 97% among all generation groups. So that's young and old believe that we need to be a witness for Jesus. And that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus. How many of you believe that? That the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus. 94 to 97%. Listen to this. Millennials in particular feel equipped to share their faith with others. So more than any other generation living right now, the millennials feel more equipped to share their faith with others today. For instance, almost three quarters say they know how to respond when someone um, um, raises a question about their faith. So that's 73% of people of the millennial generation would say, I feel equipped to talk to someone about my faith. About 73%. And they feel that they are gifted at sharing their faith with other people. This is higher than any other generation group. This is Gen X, which is 66% who feel equipped. Boomers who feel 59% equipped. And and the elders who are 56%, feel 56% equipped to share their faith. But listen to this, friends. Despite this, many millennials are unsure about the actual practice of evangelism. Almost half of millennials, 47%, agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will come to know Jesus. So the generation believes that it's wrong for us to share our faith of the one true God with anyone else. I believe the cultural pressures that have been put on the children of God is you can't share your faith. There's two things you got to keep private, your politics and your religion. If you know anything about me, I don't keep any of those private. Because I believe they're one and the same. I vote how I believe because I believe in Jesus, right? Now, that's, trust me, that looks very different here than it does in other places, but about half of millennials uh, don't feel compelled to share their faith. This is, listen, compared to a little over one quarter of Gen Xers, so only Gen Xers, 27% believe that they should share their faith. Boomers, is only 19% of them believe that they should share their faith. And the elderly, uh, only 20% of them believe that they should share their faith. So there, there's no statistics on Gen Z, which is crazy. I'm, I'm losing track of all these generations. But listen to this. Even, even There's another study that, that was done by LifeWay. It says in the past six months, how many times did you share with someone How you became a Christian. And I want us to hold this in context with Andrew's life. Andrew meets the Messiah and immediately what he does. What does he do? He goes and he shares that he has met Jesus. I'm not talking about sharing our religion. I'm not talking about sharing uh, the the, the, the church that we're a part of. I'm not talking about sharing, sharing a process. I'm talking about sharing that we have encountered Jesus. There's no mandate for you to preach about your church. The mandate is to share Jesus. I love what A.W. Tozer says, and we're going to be doing a series about this in, in, in the next few months. And A.W. Tozer says, I don't care about all the nuances of religion. What do you say of Jesus? What do you say of Jesus? It doesn't matter you know, the, the, what flavor you're trying to subscribe to. What do you say of Jesus? So in the past six months, how many times did you share with someone how to become a Christian? And um, 55% said zero. Haven't done it. 20, 24% said maybe one or once or twice. 12%, maybe three to five times. 5% said six to ten times. 1% said 11 to 15 times. And 3% said 16 times or more. So we, we, we see this thing of, 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 of this lack in our desire to share Jesus with the world. And so there's another study that was put out, and I'm, I'm normally not these study guys, but you, I think you guys know that by now. But listen to this. What prevents you from sharing your faith? And so the statistics on that are, are, are pretty staggering. The, the biggest factor, 22% of people say fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to share my faith. I'm afraid to share my faith with another person. Seventeen percent say lack of opportunity. I mean that you know they just they just don't feel like they have the opportunity to do that. Seventeen percent um, say nothing, which is they're being honest. There's nothing that's preventing me. I'm just not doing it. Right. 10% say um, they feel unequipped. They, they don't know how. They don't have the words to, to share their faith with other people. 9% say um, lack of interest. They're just not interested in sharing their faith with other people. 8% say rejection, which we can probably slide that over into the fear um, number because that's what, that's what one of the hugest fears is, is I'm afraid to be rejected by the people that I'm going to share Jesus with. Right? 8% say, hey, I'm just too busy. Uh, another 4% that just said other. They, they checked in others' box. Uh, 4% say they're too shy. It's, just, it's not in their makeup. You know, I'm an introvert. I don't speak to people. I don't like speaking. I, I just get to stumble over my words. I just can't do it. Which is interesting because we know that Moses had a speech impediment and yet he was able to speak before Pharaoh. And 4% say it's um, It's inappropriate. It's inappropriate to do so. That it's inappropriate to share your faith with other people just because of the cultural things that we understand now. You don't share your faith with other people. Four percent say it's hard to bring it up. They just, you know, you feel compelled and and you want to have that conversation and you know, you, you know, you want to share Jesus with somebody. Just it's hard to bring it up. Three um, percent say, hey, they don't want to be too pushy. They're not trying to be too pushy. And so. Uh, and then lastly, um, th- another 3% is um, offense, as they do not want to offend the people around them. And so, listen, friends, these are all valid things. I think each and every one of us can say we have experienced some of these things. And so I'm not even standing here saying, hey, I'm, I'm always in that. I'm sharing Jesus with everyone all the time at every given moment. And any opportunity I get with the 7-Eleven guy and the Walmart person and, and my cousins and my aunt and my uncle, And I'm, I'm not here saying that. Each and every one of us has probably experienced fear. Each and every one of us has probably felt like, I don't want to be too pushy. Each and every one of us has has thought about rejection and thought about all of these other nuances that take place. But friends, when we have had an authentic encounter with Jesus, the natural response should be that I want to share Jesus with someone. If we, as believers of the one true God, believe that He... Is the most important thing for anyone's life. What should be the response of that? What should be the response of that? Sharing Jesus with the world should be the default for anyone who has had an authentic encounter with Jesus. I mean, I just think about the things that we do share with people, right? If you bring up sports, there's a lot of Dodger fans in the room. If you talk, if you want to talk Dodgers all day long, I I, I was walking through. Um, what was it like? Westlake Village thing. I went to go get a COVID test a few weeks back. Um, and I had a Dodger hat on. And some guy just out of nowhere, hey, Dodgers, what's up? And we just started talking to I mean, I, He was helping me find the place I needed to get to. But he ended up being a, a dugout security guy for the Dodgers. And so we were just talking. But just, I mean, we, we talk about things all the time that we're passionate about. If you see someone wearing you know, one of your your sports teams, like, hey. you know, we're friends immediately. Right? Hey, Yo. LAFC, whoa, Rams, whatever it is. You, 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 Cal, nobody wants to t- Nobody talks about the Cowboys in California, Ken. <laughs> Ken's a diehard. He'll never let it down. Anyway, um, when we're passionate, we talk about it. Listen, how is it that we can talk about something, if we're serious, friends, as superficial as a sports team? And not the God of heaven. Not the Savior of the world who who was crucified on a cross for our behalf. How can we not, as as a default, want to share this Jesus with the world? Think of the Samaritan woman. You guys remember the Samaritan woman? Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. He sees her at the well. And and, then he says this to her, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. So they're having this conversation. And he's talking to her about, about worship. And, and, and so she, she tells him, hey, well, you know, the Jews say you worship God over here. And my people say we worship God over here. And Jesus tells her there's coming a time that it doesn't matter where you worship. God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then she says, well, who knows? You know, who, who can say when the Messiah comes, he'll reveal it all to us. And Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you have been waiting for. And this is her response. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Listen to this, friends. Even with a question in her heart, many came to believe in Jesus. She asked this question. Could he really be the Messiah? And I think we have to ask ourselves that, friends. Is Jesus the Messiah? Could he really be the Messiah? Either he is or he isn't. And if he is, then what's our response? Hers was to go and tell her entire village. That entire village comes flooding back to that well to come and encounter Jesus the way that she did. And many came to believe. It's the same with Andrew's life. Andrew went back. He introduces Peter to the Messiah. And we know what happens in Peter's life. I always think about stuff like that. I I think about Billy Graham, who is hands down the greatest evangelist that this nation has ever seen. Millions have come to know Christ through his life and through his ministry. I always wondered, who was the person that led him to Jesus? Jesus. Can you imagine? Like, who was a person that led him to Jesus? And then I think about Peter's life. It was his brother. It was Andrew. And then Andrew, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the gospel narrative, kind of fades to the back. Because we don't read a whole lot about Andrew's life after this. But we read a whole lot about Peter. Can you imagine? That was based on an introduction. From his brother, I have found the Christ. See, this this, this insignificant woman who was who was bi-culturally, who culturally was deemed a sinner, who, who was deemed a, 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 an adulteress, who had h- husbands and all, all this stuff, and Jesus speaks into her life. She goes with all of her imperfections and with all of her questions to her village and says, come and meet the man who told me everything that I've ever done. How powerful is that? Because I think about some of these things we fear. I think like I'm inadequate. I think I can't share Christ with my friends. They know who I am. I remember when I first dedicated my life to the Lord, like seriously said, Jesus, it's me and you, no turning back. And and I, I, I now had this responsibility. Encountering some of my old friends was one of the hardest things I ever had to do because they knew who I was. They knew what I did. They knew what my life was about. And the same might be for you. You might be thinking, hey, I can't share Jesus with my friends. They know all the stuff I've done. They know all my life. I mean, there's their, their secrets that they know. I don't want anyone to know. But have you encountered Jesus? Because if you have, then none of that matters. If you have, you have to know that, that by grace you have been saved. And when you're saved, sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future doesn't mean we don't continue a repentant lifestyle. We need to continuously come back to Jesus and allow him to refine us. But I'm telling you, if sin and guilt and shame are stopping us from sharing the love of Jesus with the world, we have to get over it. Why? For the sake of others. Can you imagine if Andrew would have been like, man, I'm not I'm not fit to tell my brother to come and meet Jesus. I mean, We would have never seen Peter's life. Would Pentecost have looked the same when Peter stands up and preaches the gospel and 3,000 people come to know Jesus? I believe Andrew is going to get rewards in heaven for that. Even with questions in her heart, many came to know Jesus. And I want us to know this morning that Jesus isn't threatened by your questions. He's not threatened by your questions. And I think so many times we in, 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 the, in the church world, you know, we just think we have to have it all figured out and you have to have all undoubt and no questions. I'm telling you, God is not offended by our questions. Ask the questions. Ask the hard questions. If you have doubts, let God know. There, there's, we're human. He's created us. He knows us through and through. He's not offended by our questions. Have our questions. But friends, we operate in faith. I've never seen a burning bush but i've had an encounter with jesus and it was a a faith encounter i knew it was jesus and no one can tell me that it wasn't jesus because it was my encounter with jesus and the same should be for you maybe you've never seen a burning bush happen or maybe someone never said hey behold there's the lamb of god but someone in some way has said come and meet jesus maybe they invited you to church Maybe you heard a sermon or a podcast or something like that. I'm telling you, the presence of God can do things in moments that it takes a thousand preachers to preach over years. Jesus isn't threatened by your questions. And listen to this. And he doesn't care how much you know or how long you have known. So many times we just think, I don't know the Bible verses. I don't know the, who cares? Listen, I, 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 this, this, is, this is going to be a theological thing. And I and I, and I know there's different nuances to it. But just hear me out. The Bible, uh, the, the, the original disciples didn't know Bible verses. Because there was no Bible. There was no New Testament Bible. There was Old Testament. There was no New Testament. So they weren't walking around saying, do you know that in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world. He didn't say that. You know what they did? They shared their encounter because they knew that God loved the world. Why? Because they had walked with Jesus. And this is my encouragement to you. You might not know chapter and verse, but if you're walking with Jesus, you share your experience with him. This is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus has said over my life. Doesn't matter how much you know. Listen, if you have had an encounter with Jesus, the question is, are you willing to introduce him to the world? Come and meet the Christ. Come and meet Jesus. John four verses thirty nine. This is continuing from the Samaritan, um, exp, um, the woman, the Samaritan woman. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, "He told me everything I did." She shared with them the power of Jesus in her life, and when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, and he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and do what and believe and believe. And so may- maybe you, you don't have have the skill set to walk someone through the belief systems of the church. I do believe that you have had an encounter that enables you to give an invitation. Come and meet Jesus, come and meet Jesus and let Jesus, and and his church. Do the rest. It's powerful. Listen, verse 42. um, Then they said to the woman, Now we believe. Now we believe. Listen to this. Not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And I need us to know this, friends, that we cannot have vicarious experience with Jesus. We have to encounter him ourselves. We have to encounter him ourselves we can't be it can't be enough that that our our, our families you know subscribe to the belief systems of jesus can't be enough that our parents are followers of jesus can't be enough that our, our husband or our wife are followers of jesus do we follow jesus now i believe because we have experienced this jesus have you experienced him in this way friends has jesus revealed himself to you as the Messiah and if he, has, if he has what are you doing with this Christ like Moses Andrew's encounter wasn't just for him Andrew literally led Peter to the Lord what I mean by literally is he said come and meet the Christ I want to introduce you. I mean it's a prophetic image of what we do now we introduce people to the Lord And Peter, in return, led thousands to Jesus. Thousands to Jesus. Like Andrew, the Samaritan woman encountered Jesus. And listen, her encounter included her, but it wasn't just about her. There was a whole village that Jesus wanted to meet. There was a whole village who Jesus wanted to meet. And I just want to ask you this question. What village in your life does Jesus want to meet? What village in your sphere of influence does Jesus want to meet? There's people that you're connected to that no people of God are connected to because it's your sphere. Sometimes we believe, oh, well, it's the church's job to reach the, the, the world. Or it's a pastor's job to reach the world. I don't have access to the people in your world. That's your village. What was, what's our response? this thing how about you was your encounter with Jesus just for you or did Jesus have bigger plans in mind did he have bigger plans in mind so here's my challenge for us as a church and I'm going to land here for us back in in the early days of, of the Billy Graham crusades they started this really cool thing called the Andrew Project. And so what would happen in the Billy Graham Crusades is they would kind of go before into a city. I mean, there was massive um, evangelism that took place in Los Angeles and a lot of the major cities, Chicago and globally, eventually. But what they would do is they, they started this 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 project called the Andrew Project. And the Andrew Project was this. If you know Jesus... We are coming into town to introduce more people to Jesus. And so what we want you to do if you know Jesus is to bring someone who doesn't know Jesus. Because it's your responsibility to bring the world around you to encounter the one true God. And through this is how they begin to develop this this crusade. Because listen, crusades and evangelism, it's, it's not about those of us who already know jesus if, if we're going to pitch up a, a big tent and we're going to do this big tent revival and, and we're going to you know have a service for jesus and it's just only about us it can't just be about us i've told us often that the church should be the only organization in the world that exists for its non-members it's not just about us there's an invitation that there's a world around us that's that's hurting, that's lost, that's in need and we need to reach out to them in real ways. And so if this is the mandate of the church, then I, I want us, and we're not going to keep track and all this stuff, I want us to, to take this challenge real. I mean, it's personal. The Andrew Project, you're responsible for bringing someone to know the Lord. The same group, the Barner group that does that does these statistics says that 73% of people non-Christians say that they would come to church if someone that they knew invited them. So if they encountered a a, a pastor on the street cold turkey, they're less likely to come to the church. But if their friends that they've known and that they and that they have a, a relationship with would say, Hey, why don't you come and visit my church? 73% of non Christians would say, I'll come with you. But here's here's the crazy thing. Because I think sometimes all those fear things kick in, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite them to my church, and then you know the music's gonna mess with them, and then you know, they're gonna see people on the stage jump in, and I don't that's just gonna be weird. Like it's gonna be weird for them. Here's the thing Andrew wasn't worried about what Jesus was gonna do. Can you imagine, like, Andrew's thinking, man, I don't know, because, you know, if Jesus goes by, and then yeah, I'm going to invite Peter, and then Jesus is going to say something weird, and my brother's going to walk away. And I know Peter, he's always, like, cutting people's ears off and doing other crazy stuff, like, we've got to give Jesus his chance. We've got we to give an opportunity for Jesus to do his work. And so my unofficial challenge to us as a church is to enlist each and every one of us into this Andrew Project. Can you be an Andrew? Can you be a Samaritan woman knowing that our encounter with Jesus wasn't just about us? It's about the world around us. It's about the village behind us. It's about my brother. It's about my sister. It's about my family members. Come, listen, friends, and meet Jesus. Has nothing to do with church, has nothing to do with 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 the with the flavor or style of church, it has everything to do with Jesus and eternity. You guys mind standing with me this morning? If you are comfortable with it, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes for a moment. the last maybe 40 minutes you've been hearing me talk and I hope what you haven't heard is another pastor trying to grow the church because Jesus said I will build my church we believe that Jesus is building this church I'm not building this church and you're not building this church but the great commission that was given to the disciples before Jesus ascended into heaven was this. Go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world, make disciples. Share Jesus with the world. And that commission has has transferred from the original disciples to the next disciples to the next disciples until here we are today as disciples and followers of Jesus. And friends, are we sharing Jesus with the world? An authentic encounter with Jesus requires becoming an authentic witness for Jesus. Maybe you've experienced fear in the past. Maybe you've experienced some of those other things that I've talked about. And friends, I I can't promise you today you're not going to experience those things again. But what I can promise you, because the word of God promises us that if we are faithful to share Jesus, Jesus will build his church we are faithful to bring this gospel message, this message of love to the world, that Jesus loved them and that he died on the cross for them and if they would just repent from their sins, that he will forgive them and they will become children of God it could seem so simple and friends, because of all that Jesus did, it is yes, there's complications yes, there's rejection yes, there's people who aren't ready with those, listen friends we extend grace we recognize hey maybe it was just my job to plant a seed maybe it was just my job to share Jesus with them and still love them if they rejected me so that they can see that the church isn't a bunch of uh, uh, of, of judgmental people who only like Christians friends I want to commission you today become an Andrew, become a Samaritan woman. Share your encounter with the world. Because it wasn't just for you. It was for your village, for your family, for your brothers, your sisters. So, Jesus, in the power of your spirit, I ask you will fill us with faith where there was once fear. We've been afraid to share Jesus with the world. Lord, I ask that you give us courage. Give an invitation to say, to say to people in maybe more common language, behold, there is the Lamb of God. And the possibilities. show us the possibilities.